It's good to be able to close out this day uh, with uh, not only worship, but the reading and preaching of the word. And so uh, let's open our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 20, Proverbs chapter 20. And this evening's message comes to us from two brief verses, just verses 12 and 13. So let's give our attention to the reading of God's word, Proverbs chapter 20. And we'll read just verses 12 and 13. Hear now the word of God, chapter 20, verse 12. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes, and you will have plenty of bread. May God add his blessing to this reading of his holy and inspired word. Uh, Let's bow together in a brief word of prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you uh, would bless the preaching of your word, for we do not want the word to go forth as the mere clanging of a cymbal or an empty gong, but rather, O Lord, as the word goes forth, we pray that by the power of your spirit, uh, you would make it effectual, effectual unto salvation, effectual unto sanctification, and the means by which you glorify yourself and conform us to the image of your Son. We pray, O Lord, that as you created the cosmos so long ago by the power of your word and spirit, we pray that you would take the word, your Son, and his spoken word through the power of your Holy Spirit, and you would create anew by creating us anew, by reforming us, and glorifying yourself in our midst. We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. William Shakespeare once began one of his sonnets in the following manner. My eye hath played the painter and hath stelled thy beauty's form in the table of my heart. My body is the frame wherein tis held and perspective that is best painter's Art. In this sonnet, Shakespeare's uh, lines here uh, is, is what he likens the eyes to the painter's brush uh, that has captured beauty and has painted the beauty that the, the, the eyes see upon the table of the heart or upon uh, the, the, the canvas of the heart. And like the frame of a painting, Shakespeare's youth is the frame that holds the images that he has captured on the canvas of his heart. Now, I can't help but wonder, among the many influences that Shakespeare had in his life, he was very biblically literate. And so, in this particular case, I wonder if he was perhaps at least meditating upon or drawing upon the teaching of Christ himself, as Christ reflected and taught us about the relationship between the eyes and the life when he says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 and 23, that I is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Here it's the same type of imagery that Shakespeare captures, that the light is, uh, you know, that the eyes are what lets 
truth or falsehood into the body. And it's, it's what you ultimately paint upon the canvas of your heart. And so I think what Christ here captures, as well as we could say Shakespeare, is that it's a truth embedded in the creation. And I think one that all of us know. And that the eyes are the means by which we take in the world around us. According to the all-knowing internet, uh, our eyes capture 36,000 bits of information per hour. Uh, That is 50 things per second. That's how much information our eyes are capturing. Uh, And so you can imagine that there's an importance that what Solomon is talking about here, what Jesus is talking about, uh, what Shakespeare is talking about is that our eyes take in a wealth of information. And so this is important teaching that Proverbs talks about, that Solomon talks about. And so what he does is that Solomon reflects here upon the gifts of seeing, but in addition to sight, we can also talk about the gift of hearing. And what we want to understand is that what Solomon is talking about, we could say first and foremost starts with the natural gifts. In other words, the things that our eyes perceive, those, those 50, uh, uh, 50 uh, things per second. But then also what we can say is what our ears hear. So in other words, first and foremost, the things that he's reflecting upon are our eyes and our ears. What it is that we're able to see, what it is that we're able to hear. But I don't think that that's all that Solomon has in view, given the context of the rest of his book. In other words, what he's talking about here is first and foremost, the natural abilities that we have sight and hearing, but then secondly, he's also telling us to think about the supernatural capacities that we have for sight and hearing. In other words, the gifts of God's grace that enable us to see Christ with the eyes of faith and to hear the truths of the gospel of grace. So in other words, what Solomon is talking about is, yes, he's talking about sight, he's talking about hearing, but he's ultimately talking about seeing Christ with the eyes of faith and hearing the truths of the gospel. And so what we want to do is, first we want to give thought to what he says about hearing and seeing, and then secondly, we want to give thought to not hearing and not seeing. Those are important things. First, hearing and seeing, and then secondly, not hearing and not seeing. So first, let's let's think about hearing and seeing. Solomon opens these two verses about a simple observation that all of us know. Uh, Chapter 20, verse 12, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. Now, at first glance, this seems like a fairly straightforward statement. God has created us, body and soul, and so he has given us as human beings uh, the ability to see and to hear. You know, I can remember uh, when I was in seminary, I was walking across campus, and uh, it, was in the, it was at night, and I was heading to a friend's uh, apartment where we, where we were gathering with several students to, to watch some show or something like that. And I remember something blew into my eye. And all of a sudden, it was stuck in my eye, and it was, it was bothersome, and I couldn't quite clear it out of my eye, and I was having trouble. I rubbed my eye too much. And I can hear my wife saying, had she been around me uh, at that time in my life, keep your hands out of your eye, stop rubbing your eye, you're going to injure it. 
Uh, I got to my friend's apartment, tried to wash out my eye, and I think I kind of finally cleared it, uh, and I thought that was the end of it. The next morning, I woke up, and I couldn't really see out of this part of my eye. In fact, it's like my vision went from, at the time, 2020 to 2100. And all of a sudden, everything in this eye practically looked like I was looking through an opaque shower door. I was concerned. Having the ability to see one day and then having no ability to see the next day can be frightening. It can be terrifying. And so Solomon, I think, is naturally focused upon the gift of sight, the gift of hearing. And so I think in this respect, what he's doing is he's causing us to look back and to think to the very first uh, moments of the creation, when God created us, when God created Adam and Eve. And think about the absolute joy that it must have been for Adam to be able to behold the creation in all of its glory. You know, think of it, uh, I don't know how they find out these things, uh, but, you know, they say that, for example, dogs don't see in color. How do they know? I mean, did they ask them questions? Did they give them a survey? I don't know. But they say that dogs can't see in color. You know, or my son was looking up things about what things that a parakeet can see, because we have two parakeets. And he was saying, oh, the, the parakeets can see ultraviolet light. And I was like, well, how do they know? <laughs> Again, did they ask them questions? But think of it, the Lord didn't have to give us the, the ability to see in colors. Uh, it, it could be that we would only see in black and white, and I understand that some people are colorblind, so they can't quite see as brilliant, the brilliant hues and, and colors that exist in the creation. But imagine Adam, as he first beholds the creation, as he opens his eyes and he learns for the first time what Solomon or what the, uh, David says in Psalm 19, that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. I mean, what a joy. And think of all of the brilliant colors and things that you have seen in your life. I can remember one day uh, driving in my car, pulling out of the garage and going through the neighborhood, and it was the day after a storm. It was a really bad storm that had blew inland, and we were all the way up in Atlanta, so the storm was somewhat weakened by then. But it's almost as if the Lord had used the storm to scrub the creation because I swear to you, I have never seen a more brilliant day in my life. The sun was brighter. The sky was crisper. Everything was just clearer. And I think it's because the Lord had, you know, scrubbed all the pollution out of the air with that storm. Shakespeare says in Sonnet 54, Oh, how much more doth beauty beauteous seem by that sweet ornament which truth doth give. The rose looks fair, but fairer we deem it for that sweet odor which doth in it live. You know, you could think of the beauty of a flower. You know, the beauty of a butterfly, the beauty of a bird, the beauty of the mountains. You know, you could think of a number of different things where you can simply just with your eyes behold the glory of God. There's a poem written by Robert Frost that talks about how Adam must have rejoiced in the glorious songs of a bird 
until he heard something else. How would he would declare and could himself believe that the birds there in all the garden round, from having heard the day long voice of Eve, had added to their own an oversound, her tone of meaning, but without the words, admittedly an eloquence so soft could only have had an influence on birds when call or laughter carried it aloft. Be that as it may, she was in their song, moreover her voice upon their voices crossed, had now persisted in the woods so long that probably it never would be lost. Never again would birds' song be the same, and to do that to birds was why she came. You know, what Frost reflects upon here is he says, you know, imagine how beautiful the song of a bird sounds. It's, you know, think of it as, as God's, uh, God giving nature its ability to create a symphony of beauteous sound. And, you know, how many of us have been enthralled with the, 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 the songs of birds? You know, all the different birds have their different songs that they sing. And yet... Adam would have been overcome with joy at hearing the more beautiful sound of the voice of his wife, Eve. And Eve herself, with her soft intonations and her laughter and her joy, might have even actually inspired the the birds uh, in their own songs. At least that's what Frost opines, and at least that's what he he uses to inspire his, his prose. And so... I don't want us to pass by, I think, what Solomon would want us to think upon, which are the gifts of sight and the gifts of hearing. You know, the next time you're outside, obviously it's dark and it's night, so we can't see as much, but the next time you're out, take a look at how beautiful the creation is. The next time that you're out, you know, turn off the phone, Turn off, you know, the music for a minute and just sit and listen. Maybe if you can get away from the city noise, you know, the the traffic, the horns, the cars going by, and you can just listen to the concert of creation. It's beautiful, it's glorious, and it speaks forth the glory of God. But in the light of Christ's teaching and what he says about the relationship between the eyes and the heart... We know that our eyes and our ears are meant for more than simply beholding and hearing the beauty of the creation, as wonderful and as glorious as that is. Because what we're supposed to do, the Apostle Paul says, is that the creation is supposed to cause us to look beyond. You know, Romans 1, 19 and 20, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. We are supposed to be able to perceive the the, the attributes of God, his eternal power, his wisdom and his might through the things that we see. Now, of course... In our sin-fallen condition, sin has made us more or less blind and deaf to the message that goes out in the creation. In fact, 
the psalmist reflects upon this, and this is a passage that I suspect would have been close by at hand for Solomon, just in the course of his reflections upon the creation and upon sin and redemption, where the psalmist writes in Psalm 115, our God is in the heavens, he does all that he pleases. And then he reflects upon the gods or the so-called gods of the idolaters. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have uh, eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. You know, the simple truth here is what the the, the psalmist is saying is, you become what you worship. If you worship a mute idol, you yourself will become deaf and dumb and blind to the things of God. And it's only the grace of God in Christ that can give us ears to hear and eyes to see, the eyes of faith, so that we can hear the the, the call of the gospel and respond with faith so that we can ultimately see, we can see the beauty of Christ. But here's the thing, there's a sense in which we have to recognize this, is that what we cannot behold with our eyes, namely Jesus, is what we can only behold with the eyes of faith. In other words, the gift of faith. But there comes a time in our redemption, in our salvation, as Paul says, where faith gives way to sight, where we will no longer have to trust in what we don't see, but rather with our very eyes, we will behold the face of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is why I think the psalmist says in Psalm 27, verse 4, one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. We will be able to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord with our eyes, with our eyes. But the only way that we can use the eyes that God has given us to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ is if we have the eyes of faith, if we have ears that are open to the truths of the gospel. And this is the very point that Solomon makes throughout the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter one, verse five, let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance. Proverbs 1.8, Hear, my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. Or Proverbs 6.6, 6, again, one of my favorite verses in all of the Proverbs, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Use your eyes to look at God's creation to see more than what is in the creation, to see through the creation, to be able to observe the wisdom that God has embedded in the creation. The ability to discern wisdom, to see and to hear, only comes through God or from God through Christ in the Spirit. And this is the point that he makes here in chapter 20, verse 12. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. 
So Solomon is not just talking about eyes and ears. He's talking about the ability to see the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, to hear the words of the gospel and to respond in obedience so that one day we can hear the voice of Christ and we can see him face to face with our eyes and with our ears. But what happens, secondly, if we do not hear and we do not see? Well, Solomon writes in verse 13, Love not sleep lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. Now, okay, once again, I think that there's a level at which the proverb is generally true. A piece of wisdom that people, believer and unbeliever alike, can recognize. You know, there's a, there's a little book that I, I've purchased, uh, and it contains this speech, and it's uh, by uh, Admiral William McRaven, and he was the commander of all the Navy SEALs. This was, say, maybe about uh, five, ten years ago uh, that he was the commander, and, and the name of this speech is Make Your Bed. I love this speech. Uh, and I, I love what Admiral McRaven says. He says this. He says, if you make your bed every morning, you'll have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride. It will encourage you to do another task and another and another. And by the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that little things in life matter. If you can't do the little things right, You'll never do the big things right. And so I think there's a sense in which this is a piece of what, what Solomon is saying here in verse 13. Love, not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Get your sorry bag of bones out of bed and make your bed and get to work. Get to work. Open your eyes. Here's the theme of the eyes. And you'll have plenty of bread. In other words, you'll see opportunities you'll see opportunities to be able to plant, to harvest, to supply for your daily needs. This is a truth, I think, that Solomon has reflected upon earlier in, uh, <coughs> in Proverbs. Interestingly enough, this comes right on the heels of his instructions to look to the ant. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 10 and 11, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will soon come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. You know, again, he's saying, look to the ant. Use your eyes. Behold the wisdom of God and the creation. And again, he says, consider the importance of getting up and getting to work. Open your eyes, he says, and you'll have plenty of bread. Look into the creation. In other words, be able to see the tasks that need to be done. Make your bed. If you're vigilant and you open your eyes, you look around, you'll be able to observe God's wisdom in the creation. You'll be able to learn from God's wisdom in the creation. You will be able to succeed in life. And so once again... We have to pray for eyes to see so that we'll have wisdom. Yes, sleep is a gift from God. Again, if you ever suffered from insomnia, you know how much of a gift sleep can be. But if abused, sleep can become an idol and it leads to destruction or poverty or worse. But once again, I think here Solomon is giving more than just practical advice. You know, Admiral McRaven 
gives us practical advice. Get up in the morning and make your bed. Good practical advice. Advice that perhaps sometimes I wish some of the small people in my house would follow a little bit more closely, but that's a subject for another day. Again, in the previous section, take note what the wise king is supposed to do, verse 8. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 8. A king who sits on the throne of judgment winnows out all evil with his eyes. The king is supposed to use his eyes to winnow the evil out of his kingdom. And so our eyes are not only for beholding the beauty of God's creation, but they're also supposed to look for opportunities for work so that we don't become hungry or poor, but we're also supposed to be able to use our eyes to discern what is good from what is evil, what is wise from what is foolish. And so I think this is why Solomon is stressing the eyes, both in verse 8, the means by which the king winnows out the evil out of his kingdom, but also here in verse uh, 13, where he's saying, open your eyes and you'll see plenty of bread. Again, notice this, notice this emphasis, verse 12, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both love, not sleep, lest you come to poverty, open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. But what happens? What happens if we fail to see? What happens if we're slumbering? What happens if we're worshiping at bedside Baptist? You know, to put it that way, where we just decide to close our eyes and we're always going to stay in bed. We're going to miss those opportunities to see the wisdom of God. We're going to miss the opportunities to behold opportunities for work, for labor. But again, I think Solomon has more in mind here than just missing opportunities for work, for just closing the eyes and slumbering. What happens if we fail to see with the eyes of faith. You remember in the Gospel of John that Jesus healed a man who was born blind and he healed him by taking a spittle, mixing it with mud and, and rubbing it in his eyes in order miraculously to restore his sight. And so when he, he went and was interrogated by the religious leaders, those who could see, They did not understand the things that Jesus had done. They were blind to the things of Christ. And you could even say deaf to the words of Christ. And when he was questioned, the blind or the formerly blind man says in John chapter 9 verse 30, the man answered, why, is, why this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God, he does his will. God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard of anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us and they cast him out. They could see, but they couldn't see. They could hear, they could audibly hear the words that the formerly blind man was speaking when he was speaking the words of the truth of the gospel, and yet they could not hear. 
It's, it's irony so thick that you could cut it with a knife, that those who could see with their eyes were blind to Christ. Those who could hear with their ears were deaf to the words of the gospel. They refused to see, they refused to hear. But by contrast, the man who could not see, he could behold Christ with the eyes of faith. The man who essentially was blind could also hear the words of the gospel. It doesn't surprise me if perhaps we were to ever ask John Newton if it was this passage perhaps that, in, you know, that, that inspired those words so familiar to us, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. What a tragedy if we merely see the things of God with only our eyes, if we only hear the words of God with only our ears, such that they are merely a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, that it's just noise, it's just noise, or it's just things that we hear or see, that we would be like the Pharisees. That we would have our faculties, but we would be deaf, dumb, and blind to the things of the gospel. For this, we would, of course, fall under the judgment of God. This is the very indictment that the prophet Isaiah brought against the Israelites in his day. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10, where he says, Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Solomon has much more in view here than just looking and hearing. But when Isaiah was prophesying about the reign of the future Messiah, he described his people in a very different way. He doesn't describe them as those who see but do not see and those who hear but do not hear that are blind and their hearts are hardened to the truths of the gospel. He describes them as those who receive the blessings of the Messiah, Isaiah 32, 3. Then the eyes of those who see will not be closed, and the ears of those who hear will give attention. It's this very passage in Isaiah to which Christ appealed when John the Baptist sent disciples to Jesus saying, are you the one that we are looking for or should we look for another? Because here John expected, I think, thunder, fire, and lightning and for the Messiah to come and overthrow the wicked. And instead what only happened is that Jesus wandered off into the wilderness and John was arrested. And when Jesus told John's disciples... Tell him this, give him this message. Matthew eleven five. the blind receive their sight and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have the good news preached to them. But Jesus was not simply healing people. Yes, he was making the dead rise from the dead. He was giving sight to the blind, like the man born blind in John chapter 9. He was making those who were, who were deaf, he was enabling them to hear. But those things were but signs of the fact that Christ was giving to them the gift of faith through the Spirit to open 
the eyes of their faith, to unstop their ears so that they could hear, because it would be a blessing, but nevertheless one that falls short of salvation if Christ merely gave the blind man the ability to see. It would be great that he could now see, but what a tragedy if he would not be able to behold Christ with the eyes of faith, that he would not have salvation. He would have his health, but not eternal life. And this is why the scriptures, why Jesus, why Solomon are talking about more than just seeing and hearing. They're ultimately talking about hearing the gospel of truth, seeing with the eyes of faith, something that comes to us only by the gift of God in Christ through the Spirit. So, beloved, our prayer should be that God in Christ through His Spirit would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we would behold the beauty of the creation uh, and, and rejoice in God our Maker, but the things that we see and hear in the creation would naturally draw our hearts up to God in Christ. That the beauty would lead us to his word where we would see and hear the gospel of Christ and his wisdom. So that we would listen and be vigilant to do his word. That we would see the kingdom of God and that we would rejoice. That we would hear the word of God and yield our lives as living sacrifices to his service. I think I've closed with these words before, but I thought them apropos. And though they are the words of a children's hymn. If we are called to a childlike faith, then it seems definitely appropriate for us to think about these things. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love, so be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. For the Father up above is looking down in love, so be careful, little ears, what you hear. Pray, beloved in Christ, that we would see and hear Jesus Christ and his word so that one day at the consummation we can see and hear God in Christ in the face of our Savior. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Father God, we are grateful for the gifts that you have given us in the creation. The ability to be able to behold the glories of a sunset or the glories of a sunrise, to be able to look out upon majestic snow-capped mountains, to hear the, the glorious songs of the birds, to hear the crashing waves, uh, to hear the roar of a lion, uh, to hear your creation singing forth your praises. These are not just simply the sounds of nature, O Lord, but it is your creation singing out. Indeed, it is the stones crying out praises to you, our triune God. But, O Lord, we pray that as we behold and hear these things, that by the gift of faith you would draw our eyes of faith and our ears unto your glory that you would help us to see Christ in the word, that we would not be like the Pharisees who saw and heard but did not see and did not hear because of their hardness of heart. O Lord, let the glory that we behold in the gospel of Christ be the same glory that is reflected in our hearts. 
Let not our hearts be filled with darkness because we behold darkness, but let our hearts be filled with the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ because we behold him with the eyes of faith. And O Lord, make us faithful until that day, until that day of days when we shall behold your face in the face of Christ. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus, but make us faithful, not only in what we see, but that we would be faithful to hear your word and to do it, that we would learn wisdom, humility, and that, O Lord, you would glorify yourself through the things that we see and the things that we hear. We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.